Welcome to the Pete Primo Show. It's episode 47 with Lee Saltz and his newest book, Sell Different. And we all need to sell different these days, get better at what we're doing. Before we get going, I am going to pay the bills real quick. Sell a million. What are you guys waiting for? It's 101 tips for furniture and mattress stores. Get it now and don't look back. And my sponsor, the Mattress Industry Net, uh, Industry Network Group. I want to thank Steve. This is a free Facebook group that if you sell mattresses, you need to be in this group. It is the only group in the industry that is for retailers, by retailers. There are small stores, medium-sized stores, and large stores all in this group. If you want to learn how to build your business, how to sell better, how to market better, this is the group for you. Uh, there are lots of people from the industry, not just store owners, but also owners of manufacturers, um, VPs of sales of manufacturers, a lot of connections there to be made. So if you do not belong to the Mattress Industry Network group on Facebook, you need to join. It's absolutely free. It's over a thousand members strong. And Steve, thank you for your support. I appreciate everything you do. Welcome to the show, Lee. How are you? Doing great. I got to tell you a story though, Pete. You tell sure. me about this whole mattress thing. I may need to join that group. Last year, I needed to buy a bed for my daughter. So I go into a mattress store. You know what the salesperson comes up and says to me? I hope not. Uh, can I help you? No, no. So I walk in with my daughter. And I said, I'm, I'm here to buy a new bed for my daughter. He says, well, how much do you love your daughter? <laughs> and I look at him like, you really didn't just ask me that question. I mean, I'm all for sell different, Pete, but that's not the way to do it. He did not get a deal that day. <laughs> you know, uh, humor is a double-edged sword. And when you use it, measure twice before you start sawing with that because it is uh, it, it will absolutely kill you if it's not the you know and there are one of the beautiful things about selling is no two customers are alike and 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 when you don't know the customer you really have to ask a lot of questions before you start using humor if uh, you're you're you know if you want to do that so lee i have to say this you know we haven't talked but this book was an absolute home run uh, oh, and what you. i loved about it this is what I loved about it, Lee. You probably won't be able to see this. But every time I saw something and I said, that's money, you already had the darn thing highlighted, Lee. <laughs> it was already highlighted. I'm like, man, this guy has thought about everything. And then one of the things that I absolutely love in the back, let me show, see. You absolutely took us through. I mean, this is the way all books should be done in the future. The last few, I mean, everything, a little synopsis of everything that you need to start doing to be more effective in sales. Uh, so good. Thank so, you. So well done. And, and I have to tell you, uh, you know, the fact that you kind of started off with, you know, 
baseball coaches and recruiting. I'm not necessarily a big baseball fan, but I'm a big sports guy. And I can remember when I was being recruited uh, to college and it brought back a lot of fond memories. <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll tell you, this has nothing to do with our, our, our thing, but I was recruited uh, to a Division two college. I ended up going to a Division three college to a Division two college that I really wanted to go to, Norwich Military Academy. Okay. And I was basically sold on it. But one of my friends that I played Pop Warner football with, and that's Little League football right. for those of you guys in different part of the country. I grew up in upstate New York. Ended up, ended up in Ohio, Schenectady, Albany area. Oh, sure. I know the area well. I went to college in Binghamton. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. A couple hours down. So you're right down the road. Yeah, yeah a couple hours south. So, um, so the, the football coach looks at me and he goes, I don't think you're big enough uh, to play defensive tackle for us. And I, this is how cocky of a kid I was. Lee. I, I took the films. I go, here are the films you asked for, sir. Tell me after you watch those films that I'm not big enough to play defensive tackle <laughs> for college. Because, <laughs> you know, I, as a high school kid, I mean, I was a freak. I, you know, I was bench pressing 400 pounds in high school. Wow. I mean, that, it's wow. absurd. Uh, it's absurd to be that strong. And, and I don't have big bones either. It's just something in my head and my heart. But hey, maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. So anyway, so after he gets done looking at him and I'm, I've gone on my tour, I end up meeting up with my buddy from Pop Warner Football. And he looked at me and he said, don't believe a word this coach tells you because he's a liar and he's bad and blah, blah, blah. He goes all, all on and so I, I'm talking to my dad about it. And I said, dad, you know, Sean doesn't play football here anymore. He's just, he got hurt and it's not like I'm a competitor or anything. So I don't think he's trying to, you know, right. Right. Give, he goes, son, I'm, t I'm telling you right now, Sean's looking out for you. And so I didn't go there. Um, and, and the bottom line is I went to a little school called Baldwin Wallace college. Three times we went to the national playoffs. Oh, wow. Um, I lost, we lost five or six games in four years. So, you know, I ended up being exactly where I needed to be by the, the good Lord. But the, the lessons that are in sales are all around us and everywhere. And I love how your mind works, Lee. I, I love that you're on a recruiting trip and you're seeing sales tips everywhere. And I'm like, that is the mark of, to me... You know, Mark Hunter's fond of saying it's a lifestyle. Yeah. And it's so true because you you can't pull it out of us, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're all in every minute of every day. It's just the way our minds work. And, and I thought, wow, this book already is different. But And I'm going to hit upon this in a little bit. But I have never in my life, everly, ever, started to read a book and immediately it says... If you don't get out of this book, basically what you want to get out of it, I'll give you a refund. I'm like, whoa, that is strong. Lee is selling strong. And so oh, the brand promise. <laughs> it is so powerful. And, you know, it really piqued my attention. So I didn't read this book once. 
I, I read it twice and I listened to it twice and I'm still listening to it some, some more because there is just gold everywhere. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I'll, I'll give you an example because I, I read a lot. You know, I am looking at your step-by-step prospecting. And so I compare it to the prospecting in, in this book, which is a phenomenal oh, sure. book. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, Anthony. Of course. Uh, and then I started com- com- comparing and contrasting that and then comparing and contrasting what I, what I did. And you caused in me some serious growth, Lee, because I started to, du- to, to look at what my cadence was. And, you know, I thought, and this is the value of books, everybody, whether you own a furniture store, you're a sales rep, get, get this book. It's, it's, it's a wonderful book. If a book doesn't challenge you fundamentally, it's it's it, it's not accomplishing anything. There should be a point in the book where you go go. No, I don't agree with that. <laughs> let me let me go and let me prove to Lee that he's wrong. And so I start going through some deals. I start looking at my cadence, and I go, "Oh my lord, my cadence is off. My cadence needs to be tighter." I thought his cadence was too soon, but what I have been doing is I've been letting the deal lay too long. And Lee, I know that you coach a lot of salespeople. I know you coach a lot of organizations. Is that a common mistake that you see us making out there? Well, the the bigger picture is we, we don't have enough strategy on the quantitative side of prospecting. We focus on the qualitative side, meaning okay, so what's our approach going to be if we get the person on the phone or what are we going to say in a voicemail message or what are we going to put in an email? But And that's an important piece, and I don't underscore the value of that at all. That's super important. Yeah. But on the quantitative side, so a lot of salespeople, they leave a couple of messages and say, well, I tried, it's done. We need strategy on the qualitative side with the fundamental goal of reaching this elusive prospect. That's it. So that's where we need strategy. And that's what that section of the book is getting to is how do we reach elusive prospects? Yep. Yep. You know, one of the things that I kind of beat my dealers with uh, that own furniture and mattress stores is you can take a book like this that is just absolute pure solid gold for all of our sales reps. And, and we have a lot of sales reps that listen to the show Listen, if you're a sales rep and you don't get to shut this book, you're you're absolutely nuts because there's it's solid gold. But I would challenge my my furniture uh, and mattress store uh, salespeople. You know, you sit there and you lay there in a store and you don't pick up the phone. You don't do anything proactive to bring customers into your store, and it's all on the store owner to bring the customers in the store. What what about your dead time? What about being as productive as a human being can be and calling Mrs. Jones and saying, Mrs. Jones, I know we delivered your mattress a couple of weeks ago. You know, how's it going? Tell me about it. Are you sleeping better? All of that stuff. And making sure that she's happy. And and I get pushed back when I when I recommend this sometimes. And I'm just gonna say this. Well, what's the pushback? It, it, what's the pushback? Here's, here, here's, Here's a pushback. Pete, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to create problems where there are none. 
No, you're going to uncover problems where there is one and you need to know because this is what happens. Uh, an undiagnosed problem in customer satisfaction is a cancer. It spreads. It spreads to her neighbors. It spreads to her family. God forbid she should be the queen of Twitter or the queen of Facebook. God forbid, because you're going to get killed. And the worst part about it is you never even had a chance to address the issue. That's right. So it's up to us to be proactive, call these customers, make sure they're happy. And if there is a problem, to uncover it and then make them happy so that we can get those five-star online reviews, so we can get those referrals, so we can get those testimonials, and so that we can keep our brand promise. Because at the end of the day, what we suffer from in this industry, as with many industries, is customers are not having good experiences in stores. That's why they're buying online, guys. I hate to pop your bubble. If I was having a bad experience in a store, I would buy online too. So anyway, let me get back to this. But you bring up a good point. We, we should talk about this a little more. This, this whole idea of being afraid to pick up the phone because you're going to cause problems. The problem exists. And I'll use the example of a restaurant. We've all been to a restaurant where we've ordered a steak and it didn't come out exactly as we've asked for it. When did the clock start on whether or not we would ever return to that restaurant? When the steak didn't come out the way we wanted it or once we told someone? And once we told someone, whether that be waitstaff, a manager, whoever that is, that's when we decided whether or not we'd ever eat there again right? How they handled that situation. And the same is true in the furniture space. When they tell you there's an issue, that's then your opportunity to resolve it. So they don't just say, boy, I'm really happy with this piece of furniture. They'll buy more from you. Such an important part. So burying your head in the sand is not the way to go about that. No, it's a, it's not a good option. Um, one of the things that I love in, in the audiobook, it really comes across well, is your distaste for the word closing. Mm. Can you riff <laughs> on that just a little bit for us? You want to raise my blood pressure this early in the day? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I sorry. hate it. I despise the word. And that's probably got our, our viewers wondering a little bit. You, I mean, think about it. Every salesperson on the planet says, I'm client-centric. And I will guarantee you, nobody woke up this morning and said, boy, I hope a salesperson closes me today. No one's done that. Another issue is when we think in terms of closing, it sends us the wrong direction, creates a wrong message. It implies it's the end. It's not the end, just as you touched upon. There's referrals to be gotten. So this is hopefully the beginning, not the end of what hopefully is a long-term fruitful relationship. And so that leads to an expression, and you read it in the book, the business developer's mantra. And this is something to write down. I've actually got a poster of this. And, and top salespeople subscribe to this mantra. You ready? Every deal must yield two more. Every deal must yield two more. Right? And, and that's in the book. And, and if you think about the message there, if you buy into closing, Every time you close a deal, you've got good news and bad news. The good news is, okay, I got a deal, so I'll get a commission check. The bad news is the pipeline's now barren. 
because a deal fell out of it. But if you have the mindset, every deal must yield two more. Now you're saying there's juice to be squeezed out of every single deal that comes to fruition. And it's a wonderful mindset because then what happens is there's a compounding effect. So year one, you have X number of deals, but then all of those deals we say need to yield two more. So what is the additional fruit that we can gain from that? So it's a continual compounding effect if you have that mindset. There's referrals, there's upsells, there's cross-sells. Sell them more stuff. It's a compounding effect, and you can only imagine what that does to your income. Yeah. And if you're a store owner, not only do your salespeople need to understand that, whoever picks up the phone needs to understand that. Your delivery drivers that deliver the mattress and the furniture into the homes, they need to understand that. This should be the mantra for everybody in your organization. Everybody needs to be on board with this. If everybody understands that every deal must yield two more, how differently would you treat your customers? And that's That's what we're really talking about. Very true. Sorry, I... Just got up on my soapbox. No, I, I love that. it. You're exactly right. How does that affect the client experience when you have the mindset every deal must yield two more? How would you change how you interact with folks when they first come into that store? How would you change the whole purchasing experience when they're buying a piece of furniture from you? How would you yep. change that if you know that I don't just want this deal? Every deal must yield two more. It'll change your entire approach. And you're right. It's not just for the salespeople, but it's for the managers. It's for the executives. It's for the owners of those businesses. Lee, could you indulge me and just tell our audience the story of your son's recruiting trip and some of the sales lessons from there? I, it, It's just so good. I have to share oh, thank it with you. my guys. Well, thank you. So you, you start off by saying you're not a baseball guy, but in our house, baseball is a religion. <laughs> so I'll tell you about my son, Steven. He was a high school baseball player with aspirations of playing in college. And the summer between his junior and senior years, he was asked to play on our American Legion baseball team. And if you're not familiar with American Legion, this is where college scouts come looking for talent. And during a one-week tournament, Steven hit four home runs, and three doubles. So, Pete, it started off with my wife, Shannon, and I saying, hey, Stephen, we got to set up college tours. We weren't doing that anymore. Now the colleges were coming to us. Nice. And and as you've been through a college recruiting experience, you know it's a sale. These coaches are trying to sell you on the institution, but they can't differentiate what they're selling. They can't add a major. They can't build a dorm. They can't move the campus. They're all fixed assets. So what they have to do is sell different, which means differentiating their sales approach. And I got to tell you, Pete, some coaches were absolutely fantastic and some failed miserably at it. And for our viewers, you know, when you first visit a college campus, as soon as you cross onto the border, your blood pressure jumps 30 points. You know why that is? It's not the tuition. You can't find a place to park. (laughs) (laughs) Every parking lot on a college campus says park here and we're going to tell you but welcome to our fine institution. Well, this one school we visited, we pull into the parking lot and there's a spot with Steven's name on it. Stopped us dead in our tracks. Then we go inside. There's an agenda for the day. Steven's name's printed at the top. 
What did it cost this college to do these two things? A penny, maybe for the paper and ink, but think about what they did. They made us feel like Steven was the only athlete they were recruiting for any sport on the planet. Of course, it wasn't the case, but that's how they made us feel. There was another school we visited. It was a rainy day, and the coach said to us, hey, Steven, uh, text me when you get here. And he did. Three assistant coaches come out with golf umbrellas, escort us into the facility. We sit down with the head coach, and he says, I hope you don't mind, but I didn't invite admissions to join us today. I'm going to take you on the tour. Spent four hours with us that first day. Afterwards, yeah, and afterwards, he's texting and emailing Stephen, not saying, hey, did you make a decision, but getting to know him. Hey, how's school going this year? What are your likes, your dislikes, all those kinds of things. Invite Stephen to come to campus to go to dinner with a bunch of the players and go to a women's volleyball game. Now, Pete, how did you find out you were admitted to college, that you were accepted? You're going to laugh when you hear this. Go ahead. The way I found out was during the announcements of my senior year. Um, (laughs) They said Pete Primo has been accepted by Baldwin-Wallace College. And congratulations to Pete. I did not hear from the college themselves. I didn't know. I heard. And I'm like, yes. Because that was the one I had decided on. I mean, I had my plans, A, B, and C, and probably D and E, yeah. but I really wanted to go there. They had just won the national championship and it was just, uh, that's very cool. So well, yeah, that's how I found out. Well, I'll tell you how I found out and it's how most kids find out. You get a package in the mail, right? You get a letter in the mail and you yeah. know, if it's really thick, it's a good one. If it's thin, not so good, but that's I got not both. how Stephen found I got out. Both. <laughs> that's how, that's not how Stephen found out. He got a phone call from the coach saying, welcome to Augsburg university. And he accepted. Can, can I have a dad brag moment? Yeah. All right. So Please. he just finished his sophomore year at Augsburg. He won the triple crown. So if you're not a big baseball fan, it means he led in just about every offensive category possible. Made Dean's list and his conference named him academic all conference. So proud dad here. It should be. Now think about what these coaches did so well. They made Steven and our entire family feel special. We forget to do that in sales. Yes. First, it's just another lead, just another discovery meeting, just another presentation, just another proposal. We forget buyers, forget to make buyers feel special. Every one of us has the opportunity to do that in the way we shape the buying experience. You know, if you think mm-hmm. of professional actors, they may do a show twice a day for weeks, months, even years. And for them, It's repetitive, but the best actors, you know what they recognize? Their audience, for them, they've seen it once. So when you think about the number of conversations you have on any given day about your furniture, it feels rote. You've done it countless times. Remember the person talking with you is only having it once with you. You may have done it 15, 20, 25 times on any given day. They've done it once with you. And you need to make them feel special. See, what actors do when they deliver that show, because they know the audience is seeing it once, they deliver it like they've never done it before. Everyone that's watching this program has the opportunity to make buyers feel special, to create an experience that they feel special. Now, I, I mentioned 
the uh, the schools chasing Stephen. There were seven of them. The one that was the top of his list was at the bottom at the end of the process. They didn't get rid of a major. They didn't knock down a dorm and they didn't move the campus. It was the recruiting experience, how they made him feel during the sale. Mm-hmm. They made him feel like a number. Pete, they, they, they said, we want you here. But their actions didn't support that. And there, remember I mentioned about compounding effects? Yeah. So my other son, David, a nationally recognized pitcher, that school was not on his list for consideration, had no interest in going there for the sole reason of the way his brother was treated in the recruiting process. Mm. So when you work with a prospect and you make them feel like a number, (laughs) it doesn't just kill this deal. They leave and they tell their friends, don't buy there. They don't care about you. No, that never happens. You know, it, ha- it, it happens all the time. Good. Brian. Hey, Brian. Good morning, Pete. Lee is a gem. Yes, he is. And his new book is awesome. And Brian, I have so much respect for Brian. Brian, uh, Brian is a, 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 a sales guy that is, uh, he's older like me, but he's like a, 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 he's like a newbie in his thirst for knowledge. And he's always well, reading. You, Brian. I appreciate he, that. He, he's always implementing. And yes, yes. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you. Um, you know, there, there's an important message that also comes from that. One of the oldest sales expressions, and I'm sure you've heard it. Sales is a numbers game. And I partially subscribe to that. There's a lot of quantifiable parts and you've got to track that. You got to manage to it. Yeah. But if you exclusively look at sales, through the lens of it's a numbers game, you treat people like a number and no one wants to be treated like a number. Do you want to know something? Of everything that you've said, that is the most poignant thing that you've said and probably the one thing that if we change one thing in ourselves, change that. Uh, You know, make sure that we are making our customers feel special. Number one, because they are. And number two, because at the end of the day, the quality of your interactions with people will have a mathematical effect. Uh, And that doesn't matter if you're a store owner or a sales pro on a retail floor or a sales rep that visits stores and makes his or her living selling to retailers. Make everybody feel special. And Forget about business. Forget about it. It's good business. Just be a good human being. And forget even about being a good human being. Just be selfish. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. If you don't treat everyone as if they're special, you're cheating yourself out of having the rapport that we really need to have. And which gives us life. It literally breathes life into us as a human being. Forget about the money for big, forget about all that stuff. It's just good for your soul. It's good for your mind. It's good for your heart. At the end of the day, we sell from our heart as well as we sell from our mind and our soul. So sorry, I, you got me going again. No, there, Lee. You know, <laughs> if we connect two points, we yeah. share the business developers mantra. Every deal must yield two more. Well, how's that going to happen? If we make people feel like a number, you've got no chance of that coming together. If you make them feel special, 
every deal must yield two more easily comes together for you. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, I'm just going to take a minute literally to read a quick chapter in my marketing book. It's not even a sales book, but Lee, in the back of your head, as I'm going through this, Mm -hmm. think about this for a salesperson. So it is number chapter 33. If you have the book at home, your number one product is you and it's page 53. Successful store owners understand it and, and embrace the fact that their number one product is their own self. Therefore, they invest time and money in making this product the best it can be. In today's business wor- world, there is no room for weak personality lists, timid marketers, and you must understand only the strong survive. Success starts with you, what you focus on, how you think, and what you do on a repeated and consistent basis. And I just posted something in my Facebook group. Consistency is your superpower. And it is. The good news is there are plenty of excellent books, courses, and people to help you develop and maximize your personal skills. And we have one right here, Lee Sauls. Well, thank you. You know, so so let's talk about that a little bit. There's an expression that we toss out in a, in a rather trite way. We refer to everybody as a professional salesperson. They're not. But here's my question for everyone watching today. Have you earned that? Right. So there, there's a common contrast between salespeople and, and professional athletes, right? I'm sure you've heard plenty of them. But there's one difference, a, a significant difference, that almost completely invalidates the contrast, right? If, if you think about what a professional athlete does, they will work hours, days, weeks, months, years, perfecting their craft because when they're in competition, they know they can't think. They just have to execute. Muscle memory has to take over. What do most salespeople do? They play the game over and over again, hoping to get better. So think about that contrast. Athletes work outside the game to improve so they perform better when they're in it. And not enough salespeople work outside the game, perfecting their craft. So if you want to be referred to as a professional salesperson, you have to take that extra step and work today to be a more effective salesperson tomorrow. Every day, do something to be a more effective salesperson tomorrow, and then you've earned the right to refer to yourself as a professional salesperson. Yeah. And and don't stop. Don't stop with reading books and going to a seminar. Take it, take it to the next level. You know, if you if you own a, uh, a a furniture or a mattress store and, and you haven't been coached by a professional marketing coach, you need to do that. A professional sales coach should be hired and brought in for your for your establishment to evaluate what you're doing well and what you could do better. And and let me tell you this. Here's the biggest problem that you have as a store owner. You're it. No one's ever going to tell you the truth. Ever. You know why? You're asking me? You'll fire them. You'll right. fire them. <laughs> You'll fire them. If they tell you the truth that you suck as a, you know, as a manager and you don't treat us well, you'll fire them. And that's what they're afraid of. So no one's ever going to tell you the truth. The sales reps, 
They all want to write an order. So they're not going to tell you the truth either. <laughs> you need to hire a sales coach who will be brutally honest with you and help you go to the next level. The, the smartest thing I ever did in my career is, is hire a sales coach because you can here. We almost all know everything to do, but here's the question, the brutal question. Are you doing it? Are you doing it every day? Are you doing it consistently? And how do you audit that? Because you can't audit yourself. So, you know, Lee, you do consulting, you do coaching. I'm sure that you see a lot of um, middle management that is un that that is afraid to really be critical of executive management, but. Over here, when you're wearing your consultant hat, they will be very open with you as long as you grant them, you know, some 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 uh, uh, some privacy and 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 not disclose what they're saying. I'm sure that you hear a lot of the same horror stories that I've just kind of explained. Yeah, you know, it's one of the more unfortunate things in in business. For some reason, the consultant is seen as the smarter person than the management team, and it's not fair. Um, but it's just, it, it's a fact having that external voice that says, here's what we should be, what we should be doing is heard in a different way than when that middle management team comes to the owner and says, I think we should be doing this. It's very odd. Um, I, you know, we talked about baseball before. I can't tell you how many instructors I had for my kids over the years. And the instructor would even say to them, I know your dad's telling you the same thing. But when the instructor says it, very different than when dad says it. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> As a matter of fact, one of them, you know, I so so in my business, it's kind of an interesting thing. So I sell to a store owner. The store owner puts the product on the floor. Now I need to teach the salespeople how to sell it mm-hmm. at, at, the, at that level. And <clears throat> the most successful sales reps are really good at the second piece of that. Really good at it. And the not so good, less successful salespeople aren't nearly as strong in in that area. And so um, sales pros are are interesting human beings. Sometimes um, they expect everything to be done for them. And what I constantly try to tell my sales pros that work (laughs) at retail is... You're in business for yourself. You owe it to yourself. Don't tell me that your owner won't send you to a seminar. Your owner won't buy you a sales book. Please don't tell me that because (laughs) it's your life. It's your life. It's your business life. And you know what? If there's a sales book that you should read, you need to invest your money, invest your money and Buy it and implement it. And then when you can't go any further, find somebody to help you to implement it. And we all need to invest in our own businesses. And you, as a sales professional on a retail floor, you have a sales business. Even if you're on salary, you still have a sales business. And sooner or later, you will get paid what you deserve. I'll never forget this as long as I live. I was in a dead-end situation. And I was doing my best just to do my best, praying that somehow I would get discovered. 
And it happened. But I thought it was crazy and I forgot what book I read it in. But sooner or later, this is what it said. Sooner or later, you will get paid for what you produce and for what you do. And if your current employer doesn't, somebody else will. And that's going to happen for you. So invest in books like this one. But more importantly, the best thing you're ever going to do is pick up the phone and call Lee and say, I read your book. I implemented everything I could, but I have questions A, B, C, and D. Can you help me implement this and hire this guy as your sales coach? Because it's going to make you a ton of money. It can actually completely change the trajectory of your career if you're willing to do that. So enough of that. Well, Pete, there's a, great story. there's a great story, and I share it in the book. Uh, this gentleman who was at a mid-level in an accounting firm, he read my prior book, Sales Differentiation, and he said, you know what? I want to become a partner, and I cannot bring in business. And if you want to be a partner in an accounting firm, in most cases, if you can't bring in business, you're never going to become partner. Yeah. So I worked with him just three months. And all we put together a selling system. We worked out a three-meeting approach for him with his prospects. All of a sudden, he went gangbusters. And a few months ago, he achieved his dream. He's now a partner. But every time he gets a deal, he sends me a text. To this day, it says, got ink. That's Every single time. And it makes my day yeah, seem the success that he's having. Absolutely. You know, um, when we impact someone's life in a positive way and they keep us in the loop and they share their successes, to me, that's worth more than than anything, you know, to me. I mean, at some point, you know, I kind of grew up a poor kid and at some point you don't worry about eating anymore, you know, you're going to eat. And at some point, you know, you're going to have clothes on your back, but then what makes it special? What makes going to work and impacting somebody else's life special? Exactly that impacting someone's life in a positive way, helping them to see something that they didn't see. Um, And people, you know, what's really neat about that story is he went into this, he was going to pay for it out of his own pocket. So he signed on with me. He went to to the firm, told them what he was doing. They agreed to split it with him. Wow. Then they saw the results. They reimbursed him the other half too. Wow. That's fantastic. Isn't that neat? Yeah, that's that's really neat. Um I've I've got like ten questions and and I don't I'm tr- I'm picking the one that I want because I don't have time for all of them. Um, Lee, let, I I want to talk about this. It I saw a picture of you bench benching a pretty big weight. Oh. <laughs> I want you to listen. There's t- to me uh, when we separate uh, sales from life we do it a disservice sales is life and there everything in sports there's almost always a lesson that can be applied to our life to help us be more successful so tell me about your competitive powerlifting it's mostly bench pressing right 
It is all bench press because my legs okay. are about this big. <laughs> okay. Okay. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I've been, I fell in love with the fitness industry as a teenager. I competed in bodybuilding when I was in college, but then I realized I like to eat. <laughs> and you know, in powerlifting, no one cares what you look like. It's can you lift the weight or not? So I've been competing since 2000 in the bench press. Um, a few years ago, New Year's uh, New Year's Eve day, I'm in the gym and I'm on track to set some new state records. And I'm doing a, an overhead tricep extension. That's the one where you're back like this. Yes. I've done a set of 10 reps and I added 10 pounds to it. And on the second rep, I completely ruptured my left tricep. Ooh. It was like a giant oh. rubber band snapping. Ooh. And I can actually self-diagnose it. Pete, as soon as I did it, I'm like, I just ruptured my tricep. <laughs> Looked in the mirror and I could see my elbow. It was like a golf ball size of blood had filled up. Drove myself to the emergency room, called my wife on the way, said, I just ruptured my tricep. Why don't you meet me at the emergency room? So I get there. And, uh, of course, it's New Year's Eve day. Not a lot of options. So the one guy that was working goes, yeah, you probably ruptured it. You can't get an MRI today because it's New Year's Eve day. Everything's closed. Yeah. So puts me in a sling. Um, so the next day is the first. You're not getting an MRI then either. And then I get on a plane and deliver a three-day sales differentiation program. Wow. And while I was there, from my shoulder to my fingertips, turned purple. My entire yeah. arm turned purple. Yeah. yeah. And I freaked out. I'm like, you're not supposed to be purple. <laughs> I'm not Barney. So, so I, uh, I reach out to, to the doctor. He's like, yeah, from what you described, that sounds about right. We'll see you when you, when you uh, get back. And uh, sure enough, I had done that. And I had to have surgery. And the doctor says, so, um, yep, I was able to get it reattached, but your powerlifting days are over. Done. Mm. I told you I've been doing this, competing in powerlifting since 2000 and in the gym, uh, training hard since I'm a teenager. And he was telling me it's over. And I refused to believe that. Mm. It took me a couple of years, battled back. But uh, a few months ago, I competed in the state tournament and won my age and weight. Two giant medals. Uh, you can't really see them, but they're on the shelf behind me. So awesome. I'm at full throttle. And uh, I was supposed to compete at the national level, but it conflicted with uh, some family events we had going on. But I'll do that in 2022. Nice. Congratulations. That's, Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I understand that. Um, I actually, I was a complete bonehead. I was, uh, I was doing dips with, uh, I think four forty fives, and oh, yeah. I was doing dips and I felt a little, a little tweak. And I was a bonehead and I kept going and I ripped my pec. Oh, and so my coach was a uh, former power lifter and, and he told me, he said, Pete, this is what's going to happen. He goes, first, you should get it looked at by a doctor. I'm telling you right now, you've got a, you've got a, a minor tear. It's not a major tear. I don't believe you need surgery. He goes, but I'm not a doctor. So go see a doctor. He goes, 
what I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. What's going to happen is you're going to go, you know, it doesn't really hurt that bad. And then when you move certain ways, it's going to hurt really, really bad. And he goes, you're not going to have any bruising for like two, maybe three days, but then you're going to have some bruising and your arm all the way down to your fingertips will turn purple and then it'll turn yellow and you're going to be freaking out. And this all <laughs> takes about a week to 10 days to happen. He goes, but you're going to be fine. And, and it was, and I saw a doctor and he said, there's nothing I can do. Just, just, just rest it. And, uh, I, you know, I was able to, uh, I was far enough out from my next meet that I, I was able to, to, to rest it. Um, but it's, it's kind of funny. I, um, it's funny how things happen Lee in life sometimes because, um, I had tweaked my hamstring on a deadlift, mm. uh, two weeks out. And when two I went before a meet two weeks before a meet, oh. just, just tweaked it a little, didn't pull it, didn't tear it, just it let me know it was there and, and didn't bruise up. So we just completely rested. Okay. And so I was really like amped up more than usual and I can get pretty amped up. And so I went down in the morning uh, to get my, my, uh, my bar height uh, off of the, the rack for the squat and I threw the bar back in and I threw the bar onto my fingers and almost like oh. I thought I cut them off. But I ended up with some really nice bruises and cuts and blood everywhere. And here's the amazing thing about that. What's that? It helped me because I had to make a heavy deadlift to win it. And I never thought about my hamstring the rest of the day. The only thing I, I was thinking about is how bad my hand hurts. It's thumping. It's like thumping, like, you know, ba -bum, ba -bum. I can feel my heart beat through my fingers and I'm just concentrating on, you know, holding it as tight as I can. And, and, and so sometimes, uh, God blesses us in different ways than we want to be blessed. <laughs> right? <laughs> we can't focus on that. two injuries at the same time. You got to pick one. <laughs> yeah. So I focused on my hand and uh, I had a great meet and I was very, very, very lucky. You know, it, it's so funny. You know, my the, the first time I lifted competitively, Lee, I didn't understand that you could go up in weight, but you couldn't come back down. Oh, right. So, so, dude, I opened up at 400 pounds in the bench raw oh, in, no. in, in amateur. So, I'm like, I missed it. And I'm like, well, I'll go down to 380. So, I call 380. <laughs> he no, goes, you no. can't go. You can't go down. <laughs> and, and so, so, where I'm going with this, store owners and sales reps out there, is this. If you really want to be successful... You need to surround yourself with people who know what they're doing, who have been where you want to go, and who coach other people in the places where you want to go. Learn from their experience. Don't do what I did, because I almost bombed out of the meet. I was lucky. I won. And, and it was really funny because, you know, in my mind, I've never been built impressively. And, and, and the guy that I beat, 
I mean, he literally looked like Mr. America. I mean, just really? teeny tiny waist, big broad shoulders, you know, huge arms, big just and he's looking at this like me, like, how did you beat me? And you know, anyway, one of the one more quick powerlifting story, and it really ties into this nicely, is <clears throat> You know, I always saw this thing where people had coaches and I always kind of wondered about it. So I found a meet and it was in, it was below Vegas. It was in Laughlin, Nevada. It's like two hours uh, south. So I jumped in, I rented a car and I lifted. And guess what? There was no one there to help me out on with my bench press shirt. And I basically bombed out of the meet. Nobody would help me, which is unusual because that I will tell unusual. you this in most powerlifting scenarios, in every other one I've been involved in in my life, yeah. everybody helped everybody Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's almost like runners, like marathon runners. They help each other and they really care about each other. This was just a weird, squirrely group uh, and they would not help, help me. And I, wow. and I, out and I said, "Got to get me a coach. Got to get me a team. I'm never going to go in this alone, where no one's going to help me." And and so, this is my message to you: If you own a furniture store or a mattress store, if you're a sales rep and you're trying to do it all on your own, you don't need to hire a coach, hire a consultant. Um, Lee, how do people get a hold of you? If they like what they've heard and they want to get a hold of you, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, so probably the best way is to go to selldifferencebook.com. While you're there, you can download the first chapter to read, or if you prefer audiobooks, you can download the first chapter and listen to it. And if you like what you've heard today, if you like what you see in the book, if you purchase it, doesn't matter where, come back to selldifferentbook.com and sign up for the video series Every week for a year, you'll get an email with a link to a video to help you implement what you read. Oh, wow. I haven't even done that. Oh, shame on me. I'm going to do that today. Come on, Pete. <laughs> I'm running 100 miles a minute, Lee. I, I apologize, Lee. I, listen, I know you're super busy. <clears throat> I want to have you back on the show uh, at some point in the future and talk I about what you're doing because... For me, this was so much fun and, and, and you're so talented. This book really is different from the minute you read the first pages till you get to the very back of it. Everything's done for you there. It, it, is, it is a book that everybody should have, whether you're a store owner, whether you're a sales rep, whether you sell on a retail floor. Get this book, benefit from it. Lee, that's it, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And, uh, Thank you, Pete. Sell a million. Have a great day, man. I appreciate Thanks you. Thanks so much. Thank you.